Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Dress, the history of fashion, is a production of iHeartRadio. With over 7 billion people in the world, we all have one thing in common. Every day, we all get dressed. Welcome to Dressed, the History of Fashion, a podcast where we explore the who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your hosts, Cassidy Zachary and April Callahan. As our regular listeners know, Thursday brings us our fashion history mystery mini-sode where we answer your questions, specifically this week from listener at Trexcellent, that would be their Instagram handle, who slid into our DMs with a query about the history of penny loafers, which I thought was super fun. And I think you're a fan of penny loafers, Cass, yes? I am. And actually, I don't own any currently, but I am very fond of this pair that I had in high school. I distinctively remember wearing them a la Clueless. They were something like three inch tall high (laughs) heels. (laughs) Uh, So, yes. (laughs) Well, speaking of high heels, I I have a ultra high pair of YSL stiletto penny Ooh. loafers. They're amazing. They're so beautiful, but they're far too tall to wear on the reg in the city. So they're kind of like, you know, cab shoes. You wear other shoes and then you put them on before you go into your event. So you only wear them there. <laughs> and then you take them off, get in the cab and go home. Oh, uh, yes. That reminds <laughs> me of every episode on Sex in the City. <laughs> Well, I really like this question because it was a learning opportunity for me as I had never really considered the origins of the penny loafer. So I first went about digging a little bit to do some research, and I realized that our friend and fellow fashion historian and fashion journalist, Nancy McDonald, had already written about this subject. So I emailed her and I said, hey, do you want to come play with us on Dressed? And we are so pleased that she agreed. Nancy, welcome to the show. Nancy, thank you so much for joining us today. April, it's a pleasure to be here. Good. I'm so happy to see you. (laughs) It's great to see you too. Um, You have had penny loafers on your radar for quite a bit because back in 2012, you wrote an article for T Magazine on their history. For any of our listeners who aren't familiar with T, that's the style supplement to the New York Times. Mm -hmm. So Nancy, how did you come to this topic? Did you pitch the piece? Did they assign you this topic? Um, to be honest, I don't remember exactly, um, but I would guess it was a result, um, of a conversation or more likely an email exchange with my editor, uh, about story ideas. Um, when you're a journalist, you're really bound by what's going on at any particular moment. What are designers doing? What are people wearing? I don't know if, if when you look up the original story, um, if the photo that ran with it comes up. But there was some really great examples of loafers, um, fashion loafers, I should specify, that season. I remember Chloe had a really wonderful pair of kilty loafers with gold-tipped fringe. Mm. Mark Jacobs had a pair with um, a rhinestone pilgrim buckle. 
um, there was just an abundance of really great loafers. So whether I suggested the story or my editor did, I was more than happy to write about them because I do love a good loafer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're really a perennial favorite. Mm-hmm. One could argue that they are a wardrobe staple. Mm-hmm. But before we get into their history a little bit, in your opinion, Nancy, what is the appeal of penny loafers? I think the appeal is um, multifold. The original appeal was that they were comfortable. In the pre-sneaker era, they were really the only casual, comfortable shoe permitted adults. Um, That's what you wore when you weren't wearing your Oxfords if you were a man or your pumps if you weren't a woman. Um, In the final scene in Rear Window, when Grace Kelly's character is lounging around Jimmy Stewart's character's apartment, she's pretending to read Beyond the High Himalayas, but really she's reading Harper's Bazaar. Um, (laughs) She's wearing uh, jeans and a shirt and loafers. That's her dressed down. She's Mm -hmm. lounging around at home and she's wearing her loafers. Now we can wear anything we want, Um, but loafers are really grounded in in an era when people dressed up more. And I think because of their origins, they have this sort of quiet glamour that's still very appealing to a wide variety of people, especially now when there are so many varieties of loafers. Mm -hmm. Um, You can still get Basswegians, but you can also get backless fur-lined loafers, um, either from Gucci or a knockoff. Um, So the loafer evolves and it adapts. Uh, It can be high or low, it can be traditional, or it can be very fashion. Right. And and you mentioned just a second ago the origins. Mm-hmm. What can you tell us about the early origins of the penny loafer? Okay. Um, people assume that because of the Basswegian, um, that it's an American shoe, but it's not. Um, <laughs> the name Weegian is actually a corruption of Norwegian. Um, after World War I, um, a lot of young Americans and Canadians and Brits and Australians, um, et cetera, et cetera, many of them ex-soldiers found themselves demobbed and in Europe, um, and they began to travel. The most famous of these is F. Scott Fitzgerald, mm-hmm. and the most famous destination is Paris. But not everyone went to Paris. Some people went to Norway. And while they were there, um, they noticed that Norwegian fishermen wore these very comfortable-looking shoes that were constructed like moccasins, which is to say they were made of a strip of leather that went all the way around the foot that was um, joined across the instep, across the top of the foot, with another strip of leather. Mm -hmm. And true moccasins are still made this way, and it's why they're so comfortable. They, Mm. They essentially cradle the foot. Right. And they bought these shoes, they took them back home, and um, started wearing them there. And then American and English shoe manufacturers began making these shoes themselves. And they advertised them as being like the shoes that Norwegian fishermen wore. And probably the foremost maker of these types of shoes was Bass. Mm -hmm. And in their their advertisements, this eventually became Norwegian rather Mm -hmm. than the Norwegian shoe. Right. So that's, that's where it came from. That's amazing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love learning these new things. Um, more than a few quote unquote style tribes, mm-hmm. this is my new favorite phrase, by mm-hmm. the way, um, adopted this loafer look. Can you tell us who was wearing them in terms of their growing popularity at this okay. time? They, and then we're talking like the 1950s. Yeah. They really took off on college campuses. Mm-hmm. Um, that was ground zero, um, if you like, for. Uh, the loafer explosion. They were practically uh, de rigueur on college campuses. Um, and they're still associated with that preppy look that grew out of Ivy League style. At first, Bass made them only in men's and boys' sizes, mm-hmm. but women loved them too, and they bought the, the smaller boys' sizes and wore them for themselves. 
And Bass realized this and began making women's shoes as well, which were exactly like the men's shoes, just scaled down and smaller. And they were always brown. Mm-hmm. So you, that, that distinguished them from your dress-up shoes, which were always black. But, you know, really everyone wore loafers. James Dean wore loafers. Miles Davis wore loafers. Mm-hmm. JFK wore loafers. Jackie wore loafers. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a very widespread appeal. Right. You know, in your article, Nancy, that the story of the penny loafer is actually a tale of two shoes. Mm-hmm. The Bass Weegians, which we were just speaking about, and also Gucci loafers. Yes. When did the penny loafer go high fashion? Okay, this is where it gets very interesting for me because I love a fashion loafer. So in 1953, Aldo Gucci, who was the oldest son of the delightfully named Guccio Gucci. (laughs) Yes, that's one of my favorite ever fashion names. Um, Guccio Gucci was the founder of the House of Gucci. Um, which was founded in, I believe, 1921. Aldo Gucci traveled to New York because the House of Gucci wanted to uh, expand into the American market. Mm -hmm. And he noticed that American men were wearing um, the loafer. And he thought, this is something Gucci could get into. So he took the shoe back to Italy and they really refined it. um, And they made the Gucci loafer, which is sort of the, it's like the Dolce Vita version of the loafer. It's like the loafer riding a Vespa and drinking an aperitivo. <laughs> um, and most significantly, they added the horse bit. Mm-hmm. So the the little part where you could slide in the penny was gone and the horse bit was there. And that's what really distinguished the Gucci loafer. They began selling this in the United States. And this was sort of, because it was a more upscale version of the loafer, became acceptable to wear at work because the other loafer, the Baswegian, too cash. Too cash. Um, certainly in the 1950s, far too cash. That was something you wore off-duty. And the Gucci loafer became really a status symbol. It was like a Rolex watch would become or an Hermes tie. Uh, again, at first only made for men. Later on, also became made for women. And they really took off, especially in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. I'm sure um, the burning question on everyone's mind, mm-hmm. now that you mentioned the little penny slot, mm-hmm. is <laughs> what is the story with this coin slot? Be- because this is, of course, the defining feature yes. of many of these shoes. And mm-hmm. there's a, more than a few theories about this, yes? There are, yes. My favorite one is that um, you put a penny in your shoe um, because if you're a woman, a co-ed, and you were on a date that was really boring or not going well, you could extract a penny and make a call home or to a friend and they could come and rescue you. <laughs> um, I don't think there's any truth in this because as far as I know, a phone call never cost a penny. Other theories are that it's for good luck and that you should try to find a penny from the year of your birth. As far as I could find out, nobody knows where the penny came from. And I don't know if... Uh, The shoe was constructed this way, and then someone decided you should slide a penny in, or this was a marketing scheme dreamt up, and, you know, the shoemakers decided that this was a good way to market the shoe. Um, I think the bottom line is nobody knows, but it's um, fun to speculate about why. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) some things shall remain a fashion history. Some things are a mystery, (laughs) yes. Aside from Bass & Gucci, you wrote about a few different brands in your article, my question for you is, do you have any favorites? And what is the status of the penny loafer game in your closet? How much time do we have? <laughs> Bass Weegians and Gucci, of course, I have. APC. APC has always done loafers. Mm-hmm. They um, make some really nice colored ones, right? They do. They're a great example of a company that um, 
they really get loafers. They are very understated and cool, and they appreciate that loafers can have that quality too. There's a hipster loafer. Yeah, they do a sort of subversive take on the loafer. Chloe, I have Chloe loafers. Um, I have a great uh, patent leather burnt orange pair from Patrick Cox. I don't know if you're familiar with Mm -hmm. Patrick Cox. He was a shoe designer in the 1990s, and he did all the shoes for John Galliano's first shows in London. He's a Canadian designer, but um, was based in London at the time. Um, And I had lost track of him, didn't know what he was doing. And then I came across these loafers. And they were very uh, similar to the, he did these loafers in the 1990s called the Wannabe. um, And they had this flared heel and they were a little bit exaggerated. And the best known of them had this, had the Union Jack across the instep. Mm -hmm. Mine don't have that. They're just, um, they're great for wearing with jeans because they're almost exactly the color of the stitching in your jeans. Yeah. I feel Um, like... Almost every time I see you, you're wearing penny loafers. Um, some kind, but always a fashion-y kind of one. <laughs> I have a bit of a lopsided shoe game. I have boots, sandals, and loafers. <laughs> Nancy, thank you so much for chatting with us today. This was a lovely little bit of fashion history. And if people would like to read more of your work, they can find your column in the Wall Street Journal. They can. It's called Fashion with a Past. It appears monthly, uh, usually towards the end of the month. And the column is, uh, what I do is I take a current fashion trend and examine its historic roots. So a bit like what we're doing right now. Yep, exactly. Thank you so much for joining us. April, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Nancy, thank you so much. April, yet another fashion history mystery solved. Well, that does it for us today, dress listeners. May you ponder your own personal meaning behind those coins and your loafers next time you get dressed. Heads up, friends. Official registration for our June 2020 fashion history trip to Paris is now open. You can head over to likemindstravel.com to check out the itinerary detailing all of the fabulous things that we have planned. And space is limited. So if you want to join us, time is of the essence. And I just want to say, can we just talk about how incredibly adorable the hotel we are staying in is? I know. I'm a little bit obsessed with it. And we are staying in Pigalle, Mamatre, which is my favorite neighborhood in Paris, at the Maison Nabi, which is just dripping with Parisian charm. I cannot wait. Me either. And if you'd like to say hello before June 2020, we will be doing a live episode of Dress at the Dallas Museum of Art on Friday, August 16th, as part of their late night programming around their Dior exhibition. I think our bit starts at about 9 p.m. So you can actually find more details on their website, www.dma.org forward slash programs. And if you have any questions about either of these upcoming events or would just like to write to us with a question for a future fashion history mystery minisode, you can do so at dressed at iheartmedia.com. Please tune in Tuesday for our full-length episode. And as always, thank you to our producers, Holly Fry, Casey Pegram, and everyone else at iHeartRadio that makes this show possible each week. Dress, the History of Fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to your favorite shows. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.